You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Well, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I think probably everyone has maybe not spoken this, but has thought the question, is God fair? Is God a fair God? And we can see it all different types of examples of why we would ask this question. I mean, if you've been a good person, you've been trying to do the right thing, you've been going to church, you've been studying the Bible, you've been praying, then something happens like your, your kid dies, your, your baby dies. How is God fair in that? You've been maybe serving God. teaching a Sunday school class, doing, you know, whatever it takes, filling in wherever you need to be, then you're fired. I mean, how is God fair in a situation like that? You've loved your neighbor. You've been there to help. You've done everything you can to, to pursue a relationship with your neighbor and being a loving example of Jesus, and you get cancer. How is God fair in that? You've been working hard at your job, uh, being committed to, to your wife and you know your coworker who sleeps around gets promoted over you. How is that fair? How is God fair in that? Uh, you go through a divorce, you know your ex is a manipulative liar, right? They all are. And, uh, according to anyone you talk to, uh, but they get custody of the kids. How is God fair in that? And we can see that this world is slowly dying. Uh, it's just so obvious around us that this world is like falling apart right before our eyes. Yet the Bible says God is love. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. But how is God fair in all this stuff that we see? So we're going to talk about that question now. How is God fair? And I think before we go into this, I kind of connect it to something else here to, to help us understand. So we, we have this idea of love that we have as sinners, a sinful understanding of love, where it's love to us is something that someone earns from you. You generally aren't just like giving out love. Someone has to earn your trust, and then you reciprocate with love, and it's that sort of relationship. And someone can lose your love. You can lose someone else's love. And so what we do with something like that is, well, we project that onto God and say, well, that's how I love. That must be how God loves. But God doesn't love like that. And I think a similar thing happens with this idea of fairness or justice. We have a sort of a sinful, warped, distorted, corrupted understanding of fairness. And then we project that onto God and say, well, that's how God has to be fair is the way that I see fair. And I think fundamentally it it goes down to, to this idea where I'm a teacher, so I use these terms, I'll explain it, but we have a norm reference test, where that means it's it's normed, so you're compared to everyone else, 
and then you pass if you're better than half the other people. Versus criterion reference, where there's just a passing score, and if you're above that, then you pass. And in my experience, in my life, I tend to see fairness as a norm thing, and I think most people do. Where what's fair is only fair when you compare to other people. And we see the idea of fairness and justice as how do we compare, see that situation compared to other people around us. That's why we always say when we look at what's unfair, well, I've been doing this, this person has been far more wicked than me, I deserve better. We're always comparing. So we see justice and fairness as a norm thing rather than a criterion, rather than this is fair, anything above that is fair, anything below that is not. Because we'll tend to say something is fair as long as compared to other people, we see it as being fair. Now, so the problem though is that's not how God is fair because God is perfect. And we project that sinful idea of fairness onto God. And then we have this question, is God fair? And that's really has been one of the fundamental questions in the book of Job that Job is very concerned about. Is God fair? We're going to read chapter 34 and 35 tonight from Job and study that. And sort of the context here, of, well, we always want to remember the backstory of Job and what has happened, where Job is called in chapter 1 and 2 upright and blameless. Right, And he's upright and blameless before God. And then Satan accuses Job to God and says that to God that Job is only a God-fearing man because he gets everything he wants. You take that stuff away from Job, he'll curse you to your face. So God gave Satan permission to take away everything Job had except for his health. And so Satan did that through God's permission. Job lost his family or his uh, household, his possessions, and then all of his kids died. And Job didn't curse God with wrong. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So then Satan, he does what he does, he accuses Job again. And and God said to, to Satan, didn't you see how Job didn't do that, what you said he would? Satan said, well, obviously, he still has his health. Take that away, and he'll curse you to your face. And God gives Satan permission to take away Job's health, and so he does. So Job loses his health as well. And so he's in this terrible situation that most of us can't even conceptualize or understand. Some of us have been close to there. I don't know of anyone who's like 10 kids have died and lost everything and their health, but we've been in, in situations that we can connect with that. And the suffering that Job was going through, and the reason why I bring that backstory up every week is because it's so important that this if we're going to really understand this book and what God is showing us in there, it's God who gave permission to Satan to do this. And that's a hard question. And that's where, is God fair? I mean, that's a valid question from Job's point of view. Now, keep in mind, Job doesn't know any of that stuff I just said. All Job knows is everything is gone. His kids have died and his health is gone. And then his friends show up to try to help him. And they don't help him for very long. It's really about 10 verses, uh, if that, where they try to help him. And then they start accusing Job, just like Satan did, and arguing with him and saying, really, basically that, Job, you have a hidden sin God is punishing you for, and you need to repent of that, and then God will bless you again. And that's what's going on here. And Job doesn't buy that. He knows, no, God isn't punishing me for a hidden sin. And now we know that's true. Because we know from the beginning, God is not punishing Job for a hidden sin. Which is what a lot of people say, well, 
Why are you suffering? Do you have some hidden sin? No, that's not what's going on here. And so about 30 chapters of Job and his friends arguing ends up going nowhere. And now we're in chapter 34. We're in the hidden fourth friend. There's been a fourth friend listening the whole time who hasn't been saying anything. And his name is Elihu or Elihu. You could say it either way. And Elihu comes forward and says, Guys, we're not getting anywhere. Because all they're doing is accusing Job, and Job is saying, no, that's not right. God's not fair. I need to plead my case before God, and then I'm sure I'd be declared innocent. And Elihu comes forward to say, guys, look, we've got to figure this out. So that's where we are tonight. Is God fair? Now, maybe you don't struggle with this question. Uh, to be honest, I don't struggle with this question all that much. I mean, I've, I've read in the Bible... And I understand who God is, I mean, to as best as I can at this point in my life. But even if you don't struggle with this, this question, which I think most people have, what we read here tonight, we, we need to know God for who He is. And this has been the big one of the big themes in Job, is letting God be God. God is who God is. And so many of our problems that we have is because we don't know as much about God as we should, because he's written this huge book for us to get to know him and we don't read it. And then we fill in our gaps and our understanding with what we think should be, which is usually sinful and wrong. So in these verses, these chapters, we'll understand why is God fair and then how is God fair. What I hope that we see tonight, what we see through God's word is that because our understanding of fairness is corrupted by sin, We need to learn who God is so we can trust Him. If we don't trust God because we don't think He's fair, it's because we don't know Him well enough. So let's go now to Job 34, in the middle of Elihu's speech. And this chapter is all about his assertion. He he makes the claim here, God is fair. So the question we struggle with, is God fair? Elihu comes right on and says, God's fair. So he starts off, the first half of the chapter till verse 15, he's addressing an entire group of people. At the very least, Job plus the three friends and maybe more people are, are listening on, but he's addressing the whole group. So he starts verse 1. Elihu further answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. For the ear tests words as the palate tests, tastes food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. And he's pretty much saying, okay, let's figure out what's going on. The, the friends have given him no good advice. Job is kind of at the point saying, I have a right to stand before God. God has no right to do this. I deserve this and that from God. And Elihu says, okay, let's figure it out. Verse 5. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. So Elihu brings up Job's claim. He's summarizing almost his whole argument in the book. It's that Job has said, I'm righteous, but God has taken away my justice. In other words, I'm right. Job saying, I'm right. I haven't done anything wrong. God is not being fair. God has taken away my justice. He's denied me justice. Then he says, Elihu quoting Job, should I lie concerning my right? 
See, Job said earlier, he's not going to make up a secret sin to appease his friends. His friends have been saying, you have a hidden sin in your life, you need to figure that out. Job says, I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not going to lie concerning my right. I know this isn't what's going on here. And then he says, my wound is incurable, though I'm without transgression. God's not being fair. That's how Elihu summarizes Job's argument. Which Elihu is kind of hard to make sense out of. The friends are really easy, the three other friends. Because God says they're wrong. So whatever they say is wrong. God doesn't say anything about what Elihu says. But he agrees with some of it. So whatever Elihu says, we got to think, okay, what, what does God agree with about what he's saying? He somewhat misrepresents Job here. Job never claimed to be without sin in his entire life, just as far as this situation is concerned. But still, he's right in saying, well, basically what Job has been saying is God is not being fair. So Elihu responds to Job's claim with a rebuke, which this is another part that's hard about Elihu to figure out. He kind of yells at Job here, which is, you know, really insensitive. Job has, all of his kids have died. I mean, we've been through all the stuff that's happened to him. And now Elihu, who says he's his friend, comes and starts yelling at Job. And we might kind of be taken aback by this because we probably don't want to yell at people whose kids have just died. And that's maybe putting some of our culture into this. But what Elihu is doing is, He's heard Job say things about God that are not true. And that makes him very angry that Job is kind of accusing God about what's going on here. So Elihu has a rebuke for Job, and that's in these next three verses. He says, What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? For he has said, It profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. He's a pretty strong rebuke. He says, what man is like Job who drinks scorn like water? So he's saying that Job has been sort of ingesting this evil garbage that he's been spewing out about God. Now, Job repents at the end of this. So again, God somewhat agrees with this. Elihu might be a little insensitive, but he's right in saying, Job is drinking scorn like water. He's saying stuff about God that just is not true. Like God is not fair. Like I deserve to have my case heard before God. I deserve this and this from God. Uh, he's saying he's drinking scorn like water. Which, verse 8, who goes in with in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men. So what he's telling Job is, hey, you've been saying I'm not wicked like these guys. I'm a pretty good guy. Those, those guys are the wicked guys. God should be doing something about them. But Elihu is saying, Job, you've put yourself right in that same category by saying stuff about God that is not true. That's, again, pretty harsh, but let's consider this. Because what he says, I mean, what Job said, this is, he's quoting from Job, verse 9, a prophet's a man nothing that he should delight in God. Job said that. What's the point in delighting in God? What's the point of worshiping God? If God is so unfair, if these guys who are wicked and evil and disgusting get blessed, and me, who is upright and blameless before God and tries to do my best, has lost everything. It doesn't profit a man anything that he should delight in God. And so the lesson here, what Elihu is saying, is about this inward filthiness that I know I have. I mean, this is my big thing. The inward filthiness, where Job has said, because he's not like these wicked, disgusting guys, that he must be, you know, a pretty good guy. But the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart, is what Jesus says. 
And Elihu is very angry at Job for saying stuff about God that is not true. That in God has shaken up Job's life, obviously. And what's coming out when he's being shaken, what's coming out is his lack of trust and faith in God and him putting words into God's mouth and him thinking he can demand things from God. And see, this inward filthiness is just as wicked to God as the outward filthiness that we like to focus on in the church. I mean, I can come, and I've done this, I can come into church judging people all I want. I can judge people all day long. And I can even tell people I'm sort of judging them. And that's fine. But if I come into church drunk or high, you know, I might be asked to go home. See, I can come into church coveting all I want. Again, sometimes it's even encouraged from, from the pulpit. Just give your desires to God and He'll bless you and whatever you want, God will give it to you. It's almost encouraged. But if I come into church holding hands with another guy, I might be asked to leave. See, we focus so much on this outward stuff that sometimes we're not rebuked about this inward filthiness that's starting to come out of Job. And that's why Elihu is saying this. Like this stuff that's coming out of your mouth shows what's really in your heart. And it's filthy. It doesn't make you better than those guys just because you don't do the outward stuff. Yeah, is this harsh to say to someone whose kids have just died? Yeah. That's not really the point here, though. So Elihu here has laid out the problem. And we really need to consider this. The problem, is God fair? Is what Job's saying is true? Because this very issue has caused so many people to lose their trust in God. There was a the writer Elie Wiesel, who, he wrote the book Night. Sometimes you have to read it in school, so you know I, I know that. And he went through the Holocaust, and he was a little boy, and he, he had to go to a concentration camp, and, and he survived through it, but he saw all those horrors, and, and he was Jewish. And it was that, this idea, God is so unfair. He lost his faith in God. As a boy, he had faith, and when he saw this, he, he said, no, God isn't fair. I can't, I can't do that. For a lot of people, this is the very issue that keeps them from putting their faith in God. He's not fair. I've seen what God does to people who worship Him. I'm not going to worship a God like that. We can even look in the Bible and ask this question. When David committed adultery and uh, they had a child, David and Bathsheba, they had a child and the child died. The baby died because of the adultery. And is that fair? Is that fair that the baby died because David committed adultery? Now what I say about these things is wrestle with them. Hey, don't be like Job's friends and just like disregard it and say, you know what, God is fair, just trust it. Now wrestle with this. This is tough. Is God fair in those, those kinds of things? See, because it's better to wrestle with this and pray about it and seek God on it than here's what we do instead of wrestle is we make up a false God in order to make sense out of these things rather than know who He is in this book. Because we'll make up a false God so that we can perfectly explain everything. Well, here's why God is fair. We can't always answer that. So wrestle with it. Be honest. 
Don't project these sinful, distorted ideas onto God that you think he should be because this is how I define fairness. That's not what it's about. Right? Wrestle with it. And see what? When Jacob wrestled with God, physically, he got hurt. And that's part of wrestling with God. It, it hurts. But it's better to wrestle with the real God than to not wrestle with the God we make up because we don't want to wrestle with the real one. So wrestle with this question. Is God fair? Really think about it because it's tough. Now, Elihu starts to answer this question for us. This might help us wrestle. In verse 10 and 11, here's his point about it. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. So here's his point. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. God cannot do evil. God is good. God does not do evil. Far be it from him to commit iniquity. So that's his point. And then he's going to explain it. Back it up. Verse 12. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth? Or who appointed him over the whole world? If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. So his point is, God is good. God does not do evil. And here's how he explains it. That God is the standard of fairness. God is the standard of justice. He says, God will never do wickedly. The Almighty will never pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth? Who appointed him over the whole world? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. He is God. No one said, you know what, God, you be in charge and follow these laws that I've set out. God is the creator. He is the standard of justice. Now, so if we recognize God as creator of the universe, which as Christians we all do, and even most people who aren't Christians will say, yeah, I believe God created the earth, but whatever, I'll just do whatever I want. If we recognize God as creator of the universe, that means he is in charge. That means whatever he says is justice is justice. Whatever God says is fair, is fair. But where the problem comes in from our point of view is we'll conform God to an outside standard. See, I have an idea of what I think is fair. We all have an idea about what we think is fair. So then we compare God to that standard and say, well, God isn't fair because he doesn't meet that standard. But God is the standard of fairness. See, it comes up a lot, like, for example, Judas, the betrayer. And Judas betrayed Jesus for money and told the Pharisees where they can find Jesus at night. And it says that Satan entered into Judas's heart to cause him to do this. It was prophesied that someone would betray Judas. Jesus says that uh, Satan had asked for Peter as well, and Jesus paid, prayed for Peter, but not for Judas. So then the question, is that fair to Judas? That Jesus says, like, well, better if Judas had never been born. Is that fair to Judas? Well, the answer, everything God does is fair. He is the standard. See, if we ask that question, it's because I have an idea of fairness, and I don't think God met my idea of fairness, so I'm going to say God is not fair. But again, here's the problem. Here's where I'm getting out with this. If we judge God by a standard that we've made, that standard is our God. Because we're saying God has to meet this level 
or he's not fair. God has to meet this level or he's not loving. God has to meet this level or he's not just. Well, whatever this level is, that's my God. That's a God that I made up, which really means I'm my own God. See, it's a a serious thing. God is fair. God is just because God is God. That's just how it is. And if he's not, then whatever my standard is, is God. Now I'll prove that. I hope. Is The world has never been fair since the fall. God made people to live in perfect fellowship with him in a perfect environment where there was no sin. And what people did was rebel against God, to sin against him, do the one thing God told them not to do, and they rebelled against God. And the world has never been fair since then because sin has been in the world since then. And sin is what causes all of the, this terrible thing to happen, which God is in control in. We've got to remember to wrestle with that. But the world has never been fair. But we all have a standard of fairness. Everyone, every single person has an idea of what is fair. The question is, why? If the world has never been fair... Why do we have an idea of what fairness is if that's never been a reality? Or as C.S. Lewis puts it, how would you know a crooked line unless you'd seen a straight line? See, we're made in God's image and likeness, and God is fair. God is just. And so we have this inherent thing in us that knows there's something wrong with how this world is. This world has never been fair, yet we think it should be fair. Why would that be? Why not just say, well, that's just how it is? Because we have this idea that God gave us because He is fair and He is just. But then as sinners, we turn that around on Him and say, No, God, you're not fair. But again, God is the standard of fairness. Probably the most important point tonight, which is why I'm kind of belaboring it a little bit. So Elihu has answered, Why is God fair? God is fair because He is God. He's the standard of fairness. Whatever God says is fair is fair. Next, he, start, he addresses Job personally. Rather than talking to the group, he talks to Job, and he says how God is fair. So first, he tells Job God is fair because he shows no partiality. Verse 16. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the sound of my words. Should one who hates justice govern, will you condemn him who is most just? Is it fitting to say to a king, you are worthless, and to nobles, you are wicked? Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, in the middle of the night, the people are shaken and pass away, the mighty are taken without a hand. So God is fair first because he shows no partiality. He says, should one who hates justice govern, will you condemn him who is most just, which is the point I was just making, then he says, you know, none of us would go to a king and say, you're worthless. I mean, probably none of us. Wouldn't be smart. Most people wouldn't go up to a noble and say, you're wicked. Well, he was saying, God does that. God doesn't care if you're a king, if you're a noble. He's not partial to princes. He doesn't regard the rich more than the poor. They're all the work of his hand. And he has no partiality. Because here's why. Verse 20. In a moment they die. We all die. And that's fair. Because what the Bible says is that the wages of sin is death. And we've all chosen to sin. I mean, let alone the sin that we thought was out of our control, which, which it wasn't. We've all chosen deliberately to sin. 
We know what's wrong, we do it anyway. And it says the wages of sin is death. Death is what we sign up for when we do that. We all die. See, God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter how powerful you are in this world, you're going to die. He's fair. Secondly, he's fair because God sees everything. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry and sets others in their place. Therefore he knows their works. He overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. See, God's fair because he sees everything. His eyes are on the ways of man. He sees all his steps. There's no place where we can hide from God, where we can hide our sin from God. And God doesn't need to further consider us because what Job has been saying is, I want to stand before God and have my day in court, so to speak, so I can plead my innocence before God. Elliot was saying, God doesn't need that from you. He knows more than you do, which shows why God is fair. See, we so often don't even know the motives of our own heart. Like Paul says in Romans, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. We don't even understand ourselves. God sees everything. So if we don't understand ourselves and God understands everything about us, if we consider it that way, maybe he's a little more fair when we want to throw the unfair card at him. Well, he knows more about me than I do. He knows how sinful I am more than I know. I don't even understand the level of my own sinfulness. I mean, have you ever thought that someone was being treated unfairly and then you found out the rest of the information and you're like, oh, no, that's perfectly fair. A co-worker is complaining about the the boss is so unfair. Well, then you hear from the boss. No, the boss is being more than fair with you. I mean, when we have the information, we tend to think things are more fair. God has all the information. There's no place where the workers of iniquity can hide themselves. He has all the information. So he's more fair than any anyone. He is fair. Thirdly, God hides nothing. Verse 26, He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him for he hears the cry of the afflicted. It says he strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others. See, God's fair because he doesn't hide it. I mean, we see clearly what happens with us. I mean, and Jesus says this. He talks about when the things we whisper in the dark will be shouted on the rooftops. When things aren't hidden, I think we'll think things are more fair. If everything I've ever said in the dark, everything I've ever whispered about someone, if that was projected to everyone, I think I would be pretty okay accepting most things that happened to me. Because I've said some awful things. It's just, you know, I forget about them or I don't let people hear them. If everything I've done was projected on a screen for everyone to see, I think I'd feel like I'm being treated a little more fairly. See, God doesn't hide anything. He sees that all and then he doesn't hide it. And lastly, Elihu tells Job that God's fair because just because God is waiting doesn't mean he's not fair. Verse 29. When he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can see him? Whether it is against a nation or a man alone, that the hypocrite should not reign lest the people be ensnared. See, he asked Job, when he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? When he hides his face, who then can see him? 
Just because you don't see God right now doesn't mean he's not being fair. Delaying justice does not mean injustice. See, the Bible says that God is patient, long-suffering, and slow to anger. And thank God that he's that way, or we would all be dead. I mean, Elihu said earlier, if God wanted to, if he would set his heart on it, if he would gather to himself his spirit and his breath, we would all die. So God is patient. Patience does not mean injustice. It says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should have eternal life. So an Elihu is telling him, just because God is not giving you what you want right now does not mean he is unfair. So he says, Job, here's why God is fair. It's because he's God. Here's how God is fair. Is these things that he just said. So then he has a recommendation for Job. And again, it's a little harsh, but I think Job needs it. And, and Job would agree at the end because he does this thing. Elihu next tells Job he needs to repent. Verse 31. For has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening. I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Should he repay it according to your terms? Just because you disavow it, you must choose and not I. Therefore, speak what you know. See, the anyone, he's talking to Job. Job, have you said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more. Teach me what I don't see. If I've done iniquity, I'll do no more. Job hasn't said anything remotely like that. What he said is, I've done nothing I don't deserve this. God, you have no right to do any of this to me. He's never said anything. I mean, Elihu said earlier that Job was more interested in proving that Job was righteous rather than God. And see, in all of this, Job never looked to God and asked and said, teach me what I don't see. Help me to see you during this. He just accuses God, makes accusation after accusation. See, verse 33, that's a good question. Should he repay it according to your terms just because you disavow it? And what he's saying is just because you don't like it, should God give you what you want? Then God isn't God. If God changes his mind just because you don't like it, he's not God. Even as parents, I mean, I'm not perfect at this because I'm not a perfect parent. But when I'm being a good parent, I don't change my mind just because my kids throw a fit. Sometimes I do because I'm impatient and stuff. But just because my kids don't like it doesn't mean I should change my mind. And that's Elihu's question to Job. That's the question to us if we think God is unfair. Well, should God not do it just because you don't like it? If that's true, then he's not God. Verse 34. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Oh, that Job were tried to the utmost because his answers are like those of wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. There's a serious accusation here. He he says, Oh, that Job were tried to the utmost, because his answers are like those of wicked men. Elihu says, You know what? God should do more to you, because you're speaking just like those wicked men. So let's do chapter 35 real quick, because it's connected here. Because here's the rebuttal. If you're thinking during this, and I hope you are, is... All right, if, if we wonder, is God fair? If I've been good and bad things happen to me, how is God fair? And what, it, what the Bible's saying here is God is fair because he's God, and he's fair because he shows no partiality, all that stuff. Well, then the rebuttal is, what's the point? Why should I worship God? Why should I try to be good? If God just does what he wants anyway. And that's what Job had said, a prophet's a man, nothing that he should delight in God. 
So Elihu gives this counter-argument. Hey, what's the point of worshiping God if this is how it is? It's verse 1 through 3. Moreover, Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? So he brings up that point. Right? Well, what profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? Why not just, as Ecclesiastes says, eat, drink, and be merry? Because if God doesn't, if it doesn't matter to God what you do, why, why do what's right? Why worship Him? So Elihu gives him two answers here, and neither are very good. I mean, Elihu is very harsh. I, I, they're good answers, but they're not easy. So the first answer is he tells him, don't think you can manipulate God. I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see and behold the clouds. They are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you and your righteousness is son of man. He tells Job to to look to the heavens, see out the distance between you and the sky. And he's making the point here of the stuff you do on this earth, how much does that really affect God who's so much mightier and holier than you are? Now here's what he's not saying. He doesn't mean that God doesn't care what we do. Because he cares. Our sin separates us from God. See that? Our sin matters to God. He's not saying that. Additionally, our righteous deeds done in Christ delight Him. So He's not saying that. Here's what He's saying. The key is in verse 8. Your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness a son of man. He's saying our sin and our good deeds have more of an impact on us than it does to God as far as manipulating Him. That's the point He's making. See, if our attitude here is, if God is just, everything God does is fair, because He's God, like I, you know, like He said, then why should I be good? Why should I worship Him? The attitude that if you have that question is, you are trying to manipulate God with your good deeds. That's what's really behind that. And Elliot is saying, no, you do not manipulate God because He's God and He is not manipulated. That's His point. And this is a very important point. A God you can manipulate is a false idol. See, it's the same idea as, you know, let's make a sacrifice so that we can appease the rain God and make it rain. Well, that's a God you can manipulate. That's a false God. In our day, uh, the, the false god of money, I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to give up my, my family time and maybe even my health to get more money because I can manipulate that god. If I worship the god of sex, I'm going to sacrifice my marriage and, and my health because I can manipulate that god. I can get that god to give me what I want. But those are man-made things. The true god is not manipulated, and that's his point here. Don't do good deeds because you think you're going to manipulate God. That's not what it's about. Even if what you hear in a lot of churches makes it sound like you can. Do good things and God will bless you. Give Him this percent and He'll give you this percent back. Our God is not manipulated. He is God. Now the second answer He gives here, also very harsh, is that God doesn't listen to empty talk. Verse 9, because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. So he starts talking generally. You know, 
Everyone has hard times. Everyone struggles. Everyone cries out. But what he says is, no one says, where is God my maker? Now he's exaggerating to make his point. And he's not saying where is location, but like so many times when people are crying out, it's not, we don't have the heart to seek after God. We're just crying out. And he says, surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. Now, does God sometimes answer the prayers of unbelievers who aren't seeking after him? Yeah. Is he obligated to? No. He's not obligated to do anything to us. But then he applies this to Job. And this, again, very harsh. Although you say you do not see him, yet justice is before him, and you must wait for him. And now, because he has not punished in his anger, nor taken much notice of folly, therefore Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. He's saying, Job, that's what you're doing. Yeah, you know what? You you have sacrificed to uh, be a godly person. You have done what is right. But now you're crying out an empty talk. You're not saying, where is God my maker? You're saying, I'm right. God is wrong. I deserve better from God because I've been pretty good. So he says, you can't just say, what's the point in worshiping God? Because, well, God doesn't listen. Why is he going to listen? So as I've said, and this is an important question. Is God fair? And it's one that we really need to settle in our minds in order to be logically consistent as followers of Jesus. If we're not sure about this, we can't really logically make sense of our own faith. Because when we try to settle this question without seeking God for who He is, that God is God, let God be God, then we start to to make up these false ideas, like I've said, to explain it. Because it's a very hard question. We'll try to settle this question in a sinful way, like to say, well, God can't exist. There's so much unfairness. There can't be a God. That's one way we could do it. We could answer the question, well, God isn't powerful enough to do anything about it. Yeah, the world's unfair. God must not be able to do anything about it. That's not who God is. We could settle the question with something like karma. Right? Well, in the end, people get what they deserve. You know, uh, that's not who God is. Or we can deny the problem like Job's friends. Just say, yeah, you know, God is fair. You just don't see it. Right? it was, we need to settle this question in our minds to be logically consistent. Or... The real way is, since God is the standard of fairness, He defines it. See, Jesus teaches on this exact thing in Matthew 20. I was going to read it, but I think we're running short on time. Is He tells a parable to this exact point where there's a person waiting in the marketplace looking for work. And the owner of a field comes to that guy and says, I'll give you a denarius, a day's wage, to go out my field and work. So the guy says, all right. Three hours later, there's another guy in the marketplace. The same owner says, I'll give you a denarius, go out my field and work. Well, actually, never mind. He doesn't tell him the money he gives him. He just says, I'll hire you, go out my field and work. A third guy, a few hours later, go out my field and work, I'll hire you. A fourth guy, a few hours later, go out my field and work, I'll hire you. At the end of the day, all the workers are lined up. And he starts with the last guy, the guy who put in like an hour's worth of work. The owner gives him a denarius and says, there you go. It's a full day's wage for an hour's worth of work. So the guys down the line are thinking, I'm going to get a lot of money if that guy's getting a full day's uh, payment for an hour's worth of work. But as the owner goes on down the line, he gives them all a denarius. And the guy at the end of the line, well, that's not fair. 
I worked a whole day. That guy worked an hour. You can't pay us the same thing. But what Jesus says, the point of that, well, isn't it the owner's duty? Doesn't he have the right to do what he wants with his own stuff? That's the point he's trying to make. Isn't it God's right as creator to do what he wants? It might not seem fair to our standard, but those guys didn't sign up for fairness. It was They just said, yeah, I'll go work. The owner has the right to do that. You see, I mentioned this idea of logical consistency. And it's a funny question to ask if you're a Christian. Because the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, has to shatter any idea of fairness we might have as far as us and God. And it has to lead us to trust in God's, underst- or God's definition and conception of fairness. See, we ask, is God fair? Jesus would say, that's the wrong question to ask. Again, people brought this up to Jesus himself, saying, well, the, the Tower of Siloam fell on some people in Jerusalem. Did they die because there were sinners and other people? Jesus doesn't really answer the question. He just says, hey, worry about you. You repent. You get right with God. Because who knows what will happen to you. So that's really the question. Not, is God fair? Are you fair? Because you and me, we backbite. We gossip about people we're supposed to love. You and me, we lust over people we're not married to. We sabotage people. We hurt people. We make up false gods. We worship false gods, including ourselves, the biggest false god of all. And then we expect God to only show us favor. And when he doesn't, God, you're unfair. But the question is, are you fair? Because when we do all that stuff, all that sin, God seeks you out. God goes to find you and save you and rescue you. And God is born of a virgin. He lives a life without sin, a perfect life. And he was crucified unfairly, unjustly, who had done nothing wrong. And he was crucified because of that stuff we had done. And the stuff we had done that we knew was wrong, and even that we didn't, the depths of our sin we don't even know was put onto Jesus on the cross. And he, who lived a perfect life as a man, and who is God, bore God's wrath on our behalf. See, that's not really fair. We deserve that. But what's fair, someone paid for it. It was God himself paid for it. Jesus absorbed that wrath for us. See, and then Jesus, three days later, rises from death because he had no price to pay. He was without sin. And he gives us his righteousness. Is that fair? No, I didn't deserve that righteousness. I don't deserve for God to look at me as perfectly without sin, the same way he looks at Jesus. But that's what God and his justice chose to do, was to take my sin, give it to Jesus, and to take Jesus' righteousness and give it to me. See, he does all that to show us how much he loves us. But still, Job was a godly man. We're godly people. We make accusations about God. We don't do what God says. We do awful things in his name. So are you fair when he does all that? Are you fair? The good news is, is the gospel frees us from all of that. No, we're not fair to God. We're not. But Jesus forgives us perfectly, past, present, future. Gives us his righteousness. Gives us a place in his kingdom. 
And He frees us from who we think we should be. He frees us from the gods that we make up. He frees us from these chains we put onto God and say, this is how God has to be. He frees us from all of that. So if you're not a Christian, this is a tough question, is God fair? How are you going to settle it? So what's fair is that you go to hell. If that sounds offensive, I don't think you want to go there if you're offended just by me saying that. And it's not because you're an awful, terrible person, what you are, but I am too. I deserve to go to hell too. That's what's fair. God is offering you a free way out of that. Repent and put your faith in Jesus. Trust Him. For us who are Christians, still it's a tough question. Is God fair? How are you going to settle it? But let's not judge God by our own sinful understanding of fairness. Let's not fill in gaps in our understanding of God with our own sinful projections rather than reading the Bible and getting to know Him for who He is. God is God, so what He says is fair is fair. And let's commit to knowing God for who He is and who He's revealed Himself to be in His Word so that we can trust Him and trust Him that He's fair and worship Him not because we think we can manipulate Him but because He's God and He's forgiven us and He loves us so we love Him. Let's pray. Well, Father, teach us that you are fair. Teach us that you are God. Help us to know how important your fairness is because even knowing us as sinners more deeply than we know ourselves, you didn't just look over those things, but you sent your Son to pay for them because you are just. And now we are your children if we've put our faith in Jesus because you see us as righteous in your sight. So help us, God, to trust you, to know that you're fair, to know that you're God, to not try to manipulate you, and to not try to explain things away, but rather wrestle with with who you actually are, God. Help us to grow closer to you and to one another as we worship together. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.